Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck, as there's a really good lunch crowd today, and this place is smelling terrific. I, I don't know if somebody got the shrimp or somebody got the pasta, the andouille sausage that I've had before, but it smells so good, I'm distracted right now, Stub, trying to do this show. Should mention, Lady Hokies were featured in ESPN Game Day this Sunday and got a big win. They are now top five in the country. AP top 25, Hokies number five. And that was your pick for game day, right, Stubb? Yes, it was. have checked that game out. Elizabeth Kitley, I think she had 32 points. She had 34, and it was it was wow. a fantastic game from her and Amor, just as, yeah. as one would expect, but it was a great way to finish out uh, her season or her, her last game at uh, the Castle. I love that. Yep, and uh, conference tournaments are right around the corner. We'll discuss men's and women's hoops in the state of Virginia coming up on University Drive today at 1.15. But I wanted to talk a little VCU hoops right here on Inside the Ramhorns. Inside the Ramhorns is always presented by the Red Door Guys. VCU wins on homecoming day on Sunday as Toby Lawall and Joe Bamisil spur a VCU second-half surge. I mean, that was the story right there. Toby Lawall off of the bench, career-high 16 points. Joe Bamisil off of the bench, 16 points. And late-game heroics as VCU overcame a poor first-half shooting to take down St. Joseph's on homecoming Sunday. This is now two games in a row where the Rams have started slow, but unlike the UMass game, they were able to turn it around. Senior guard Max Sholga had 12 points, dishing out five assists and six rebounds. He does it all. Sean Barristow hit a three in the second half. That was part of the 11-0 run. That was huge. He ended up with nine points, six assists. Um, so it was just a, a great game uh, by the Rams. Eric Reynolds deserves a ton of credit uh, for St. Joe's. He is going to be in the NBA. I think Xavier Brown will as well. He was the freshman, talented freshman. They both finished with 21 points each. Reynolds was 6-for-6 six six at one point in the second half as him and Joe Bamisil were just trading buckets. Uh, but the Rams were just too powerful, and they executed great. And, you know, Coach Odom talked about that after the game in his press conference where it came down to execution. And there were three times off of a timeout or off of a stoppage in play where the Rams ran a play and got an easy bucket. And the one that he pointed to in the post game was terrific. It was after a timeout when St. Joseph's was going on a run. They set up a simple pick and roll with Max Solga and Toby Lawall. Max goes around the screen, throws the alley-oop to Toby Lawall with a monster jam, and that was part of a 18-9 run that VCU had there in the second half to really extend the lead and end up with the win 73-69 in front of a sellout crowd at the Stuart Siegel Center. Rams now move to 18-9 and 10-4 and in the Atlantic 10. They're inching closer to wrapping up that double bye, finishing top four in the Atlantic 10. So next up, another game at the Siegel Center this Wednesday, February 28th at 6.30 p.m. So it's an early tip. We got 5.45 pregame coverage from the Seagull Center. That's also going to be our AWOD Goes Back to School Day. So we're going to have awesome interviews throughout the day with Robbie Robinson, Rodney Ashby, uh, band director Ryan Capacci told me he's going to stop by. And we're going to make some noise doing a whole Inside the Ram Horn show 
from the student commons. AWOD goes back to school this Wednesday, February 28th at 6.30 ahead of the VCU game against Rhode Island. As the Rams improve to 7-0 and all-time at the Siegel Center against St. Joseph's, they've won now six in a row in the series, a streak that takes back to 2017-2018 season. Shoga after having a decent game with 12 points, is just nine points shy of 1,000 for his career. I thought it was funny. One of the uh, student media at VCU asked Max, does he think about that? Does he know about his accomplishments? He said no. But now that you mentioned it, I'm going to have my eye on the next nine points so he can get to 1,000 for his career. But the story of the game was Toby Lawal and Joe Bamisil. If you missed it, Michael Phillips chatted with Toby. After the game, you can rewind on the Odyssey app to 10:15. Here's my conversation, exclusive Black and Gold podcast interview with Joe Bamisil right now on the Fan. All right, Adam Epstein here, post game 9:10, the Fan, joined by Joe Bamisil. Great game, Joe. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm thankful to God that we won. And absolutely, it was a turnaround in the second half. I mean, kind of talked about there at the press conference. What did Coach talk about at the halftime to get you guys going? We knew that we were getting uh, shots we want. Uh, we knew we were guarding them really well, and we knew that if we kept just doing the same thing, eventually those shots would fall, and eventually like, they wouldn't be able to stand one of our offensive runs, and that's kind of exactly what happened. Was he able to say it you know, that calm, or were people pissed off at half? No, no, no. He was, he was very calm. If that's one thing I really like about Coach, he keeps the same demeanor, um, and that I think gives confidence to us like not to overreact to circumstances we're not ready for. And you were red hot in the second half. I mean, what did it feel like to be in that zone? Um, it's hard to uh, put into words. Uh, I would just say the best way to describe it is I just knew, like, if I shot it, it was going in. Um, but this is the best I can explain it. Like, when you're, when you're playing like that, you make it look easy. Does it feel like, oh, this is easy? 100%. Like, <laughs> whenever... Um, like I, I'm just so thankful to God that I can get in that place where I have no worries, I have no thoughts. It's just semi like just playing basketball, and I don't really feel much. In the second half, there towards the stretch run, it felt like you and Eric Reynolds were trading buckets. I mean, what do you think was the difference to be able to pull away? Um, I think a huge thing about our team is we have a lot of guys. It's not just me, um, and no disrespect to their team. I, but uh, we have Max, we have Sean, we have Toby, J. Nell, Zeb, so many guys who impact the game in so many ways. If I didn't mention someone, I apologize to them in advance. But our team is just so deep that we don't depend on me scoring. But when I do, it's an extra boost. Team was one of ten in the first half. Completely turned it around. What do you think changed? Um, like I said, like shots we like taking, we took, and in the first half it didn't go down. It's kind of. You live and die by the three, unfortunately, and in the second half, they're going down. So, like I said, I'm just grateful to God that we could turn it around and pull the game out. How does it feel to start the season ineligible, and now here we are, homecoming night, you're one of the leading scorers? Um, it's cool. Like, I'm, I'm very thankful to God I got through the opportunity. Like, without, um, without my faith, I don't know if I would have been able to get through those first few um, ten games of not playing. And I think... Now, like having to sit out, I, I have this new appreciation and this new thankfulness to God that allows me to go out and have joy, you know. So more than anything, I just want to continue to show my joy I get from God through the way I play, and I'm so thankful to be in the position I'm in. I want to give you a lot of credit. Mentally, it's got to be tough to go through what you went through, but this is a season where a lot of guys have been beat up. How are you feeling physically? Oh, I feel perfectly fine. Like, <laughs> I, uh, so you think it's helping that you miss some time of the season? I think partly, but then also I stay on top of my diet. I make sure my workout routine stays the same, and 
I'm very uh, particular about how I take care of my body, so um, I'll be good down the stretch. Joined by Joe Bamaso following the homecoming victory over the St. Joseph Hawks. Comes off the bench, leads the team in scoring for VCU homecoming night. Who would you say is the emotional leader of this team? Um, I think it's a balance between guys. It's probably something between like uh, Zeb, Sean, Toby, and I. We all do a lot of talking. We all make sure everyone's staying up. Um, we don't put it on one guy to always uh, have to handle that. We try to balance it between us four. I don't know if you talked about this before, but when you come in, your kind of your role is just just to score. I mean, how would you disguise, de- define it? Um, my role is to play basketball, but <laughs> like the way I play basketball, I'm so. Uh, I, I just look to score, so, uh, you know, it's difficult for other teams to, you know, defend that. And, you know, some, sometimes the ball goes in, sometimes it doesn't. I, I just try not to live and die by the misses or the makes. I just try to move on to the next possession. How do you feel about when people say, you should be up there for sixth man of the year? I think it's pretty cool. Um, I wouldn't be mad. Uh, and I think more than anything, I'm just so happy to be on a team where we're winning games and I can be a part of that. And I just want to... Most importantly, in the season, winning games, and that'll take care of anything else that happens. We've seen this lineup used a lot now where it's four guards, basically. Sholga and Berstow, obviously. You and Zeb, or you and Jason Nelson with a big man down low. How does that make the offense easier? It makes it easier because there's so much space. Um, I think, depending on the lineup, you have maybe two or three guys who are shooting a really good clip from three. Um, and then on top of that, like, if guys help in or sink, either Toby's getting a dunk or the backside, you know, gets rewarded with a three-point attempt. So uh, it's a really hard uh, lineup to match up against. And when we're clicking, it's, it's pretty unstoppable. Rams erase a halftime deficit, come back and win. What do you think was the difference in the game? Um, just staying consistent. Uh, I think we, at halftime, we really just, like, um, realigned ourselves on what the game plan was and stayed confident. And that was why we won. Congratulations on a great game. Thank you so much. That was VCU guard Joe Bamisil, who came off the bench to lead the team with 16 points, part of a bench unit uh, that has been terrific this season. It feels like every single game you can point to the bench being a difference maker. Behind LaWall and Bamisil, VCU's bench outscored St. Joe's 39-10. to He's such a good kid, Joe Bam is. Glad I, I was able to chat with him, and I'm so happy he's been allowed to play this season. I did just see, wanted to mention, Toby LaWall, did get a plug on SportsCenter for his dunk. They had the call. They said he could have dunked that on a 12-foot rim. It was fantastic. Once again, though, it felt like the four-guard lineup was the difference in the game. This time, though, instead of Zeb Jackson, it was Jason Nelson who went one of one from three, had a couple assists. Max Scholga, Joe Bamisil, Sean Barristow, and Toby Lawal. As VCU starts one of ten from behind the three-point line in the first half, good looks, though. And Joe mentioned that. They had good looks inside the flow of the offense. They adjusted defensively and stuck with the game plan on the offensive end as the Rams would surge to victory behind 7 of 12 from the three-point line. That's 58.3% in the second half. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. And Rams get the rebound up by 7, 49-43. Shulga into the front court for VCU. Shulga lobs it. Caught by LaWall! And the alley-oop to the British Airways! The takeoff and the finish to LaWall, who's got 13. And VCU leads 51. Welcome back. 
I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, that was Robbie Robinson on the call via Rams Unlimited of the Toby Lawal alley-oop that was featured on SportsCenter. Lawal, the sophomore forward, finished with a career-high 16 points. Joe Bamisil provided late-game heroics. He also had 16 points. And if you missed it, you can rewind on the Odyssey app to hear my exclusive interview with Joe Bamisil, who stopped to chat with me following the homecoming win. Joining us right now, though, on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, the founder of ECRM Nation, Matt Shelton-Eyed. What's going on, Matt? Adam, what's good, man? Happy Monday. Absolutely. Mondays are a lot better when your basketball team wins on Sunday. What were a few of your takeaways? I mean, the huge thing there was, you know, at the start of the game, we looked exactly like the team that showed up at UMass, which is to say a completely incapable Division One basketball team that couldn't, you know, throw a beach ball into the ocean. Um, so to just completely turn it around in the most extreme way from one half the other, uh, I mean, that was kind of the big thing is, you know, we, we look like, like we were trending towards just something god-awful, and then we go ahead and play pretty much our best offensive half of the season. So um, I guess the takeaway there being we're not miserable in offense. Uh, we know what we got to do. We just got to do it. Yeah, I mean, the players gave a lot of the credit to the coaching staff for keeping the same demeanor, not getting too upset, and, and sticking with the game plan. You know, they could have thrown the game plan against the wall and said, hey, we're, we're going to try things differently. We're not going to shoot threes because we're one of ten. But they didn't do that. In fact, they shot 12 threes in the second half and made seven of them. So I, I credit the coaching staff for sticking with the game plan, and, and the offense was a very efficient in the second half, and they locked down defensively. Right, and to, to me, really, the, the threes uh, are something we've done well all season. And, you know, you kind of – some days you just can't miss. Uh, some days aren't as great. But overall, from beyond the arc on the season, we've been good. The thing that I liked most in the second half of that game is we were 11 for 13 inside the three-point line, and that's coming off a game where we only hit 29% of the quote-unquote easy buckets. And so, I, to me, that's that was the, the big thing, and, and I want to see if we can – kind of keep that going and be fish it be efficient hitting the easier shots as the rams played against the st joseph's hawks and went into the break down 27 to 21 but before you knew it the rams were on a 16 to 2 lead to or 16 to 2 run to take the lead and, and were kind of able to cruise a victory besides uh, eric reynolds being six of six from the three-point line uh but i just i loved what we saw offensively from Toby Lawall, and he kind of talked about it with us in the post-game press conference where the coaches said, obviously, you're not going to beat him with your strength. This guy is basically 290 pounds, but use your speed. And I thought Lawall's speed was the difference in the second half. Right, and I mean, his athleticism is unlike not only anything we've seen at VCU, but unlike anything most people have seen in college basketball. I mean, he just has an insanely high ceiling, no pun intended, um, that, you know, he's really just scratching the surface. He barely played last year under Mike Rhodes, so in a way it's almost like this is his freshman year. So I think as he gains confidence and he learns that, Toby, you are that guy, go be that guy, uh, you know, he can really, I think, turn what this team is capable of down the stretch. Christian Furman 
only two points and actually only played 10 minutes. A lot of that due to the wall. Roosevelt Wheeler uh, made an impact in four minutes, 42 seconds. Uh, I know you're hyped for that. And then, you know, they kind of matched St. Joseph's and went with Kwani Kwani at the five. Are you worried about Furman's minutes going down? I mean, I'm not worried at all. I mean, I think the the message there is you got to produce if you're going to be in. The reality is he had, you know, he's, he's basically played 11 minutes or fewer the last three games. Before that, he was doing much more, but he was, you know, single-digit nights. He just wasn't assertive on offense, had a hard time holding on to the ball. And, you know, when you've got a talent like LaWall back there, it's, you know, it really should be an iron, an iron sharpens iron situation where hopefully Toby, you know, pressures Furman to play his best game, but I mean that you know it, it is what it is, and we even saw a little bit of Roosevelt. So we need Furman to be big. We need him to play big, and you know he's just he's just got to improve, basically. Yeah, you know I, I'm I'm not as concerned, but what I will say is you know at some point you have to wonder if. Ryan Odom will make a change to the starting lineup. I mean, for most of the season, I would say Furman deserved to be in the starting lineup. But now, with what you're getting from Toby Lawall and Joe Bamisil, I think, you know, you kind of have to put that question out there, or maybe you just say Ryan Odom probably loves that he has the best second unit in the conference and outscores teams every game. Bench unit 39 points to 10 for the Hawks last uh, last night. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think starting is probably one of the most overrated things. Uh, Furman is playing starter minutes, though, but that I guess that's the difference is, you know, some guys like coming off the bench. Brandon Rozell came off the bench, and he was electric for VCU. And so I think he likes that from Joe Bamisil. I think Toby, that may be a different story where it's just like, hey, we need Toby out there. He's producing. We need production from the jump. He's earned it. Let's, let's do it. Um, but, again, it doesn't matter who's starting. I, I'm more concerned with who's playing the most minutes. And right now, to me, Toby has earned the most minutes at the five. The most minutes played yesterday were Max Shulgas, 35 minutes and 10 seconds. He finished the game with 12 points. Let's get to the Bears, Sean Bairstow. 34 minutes, 46 seconds, a, a t- plus 12 in the plus minus, minus. Finished the game with nine points, six assists. Uh, what is that? Two different, two rebounds, but he just does it all for the Rams. And he finally hit a three-point shot. I think that's going to give him a lot of confidence. I, you know, I talked to him last week, and he really believes his three-point percentage is down is because he's not taking them in rhythm. That was an in-rhythm three-point shot, and I think his ability to stretch the floor is going to be very important as we get to the stretch run of the season. Yeah, I think in a way he's really adjusting to a new role, and the weird bit of it is his role is kind of our point guard. Whereas last year at Utah State, you know, you had Stephen Ashworth was, you know, he was the key distributor. But right now, Barso is having his, he's having a way bigger role as a distributor. Basically, his assist rate is double what it was last year. And so I think that's going to take some getting used to. Um, and, you know, there's going to be some growing pains along the way. So if he can get his shot falling, though, he becomes extremely dangerous. But right now, I don't love his shot selection at all. In fact, I hate it. Um, but he, <laughs> he can move the rock, you know. Yeah, you hate it, which I, I find so interesting because, you know, it, it feels like we haven't had a guy in a long time that has that kind of dimension. I mean, who else would you point to as a guy that can back a guy down and, and shoot a 10-foot fadeaway? 
Yeah, but I guess the question is, and I love Sean, but can he? I mean, he's shooting 37% inside the arc in A-10 play. He can't hit that shot. Yeah. He's not hitting that see, shot. Maybe see, I would love to know... I would love to know the percentages on that exact shot. The shot that I think he's missing more is like the running layups to the right or the left side. But when he does just fade away, I want to say he's closer to 50% on that shot. But I guess the statistics would disagree. I probably I haven't tracked that, but I'd probably bet you launch on that, and I'd feel confident <laughs> that you'd be paid. <laughs> <laughs> it's Matt Shelton Eyed here with us on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. He's, of course, the founder of VCU Ram Nation. They are dedicated and work hard every single game to provide great coverage for VCU Athletics. Check them out today, vcuramnation.com. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, the conference as a whole. How are you feeling mm-hmm. about VCU's chances to get a top-four seed or maybe even move up to three or two? So I actually wrote a quick blog post today, if anyone wants to read it, vcuramnation.com, just trying to figure that out. I think, realistically, there is an outside chance we could win the regular season I think that's more of a stretch I think the focus right now is just securing a double buy we're not in we're not in bubble talk it's all about securing a shorter run to an A-10 title in Brooklyn the easiest way to do that is hold serve at home you beat a struggling Rhode Island team that just got spanked by LaSalle and then if you can beat a tough and definitely a tougher than people realize Duquesne team at home that's it that's all you got to do and then anything you do on the road is extra. Um, and we've got tough road games at Richmond at Dayton, but they, these are both teams we've beaten. So to me, that's, that's the focus. Win your home games, prepare for Brooklyn, and, you know, take your chances. I'm glad you mentioned the one seed as a possibility because I think that needs to be, uh, you know, that needs to be the belief and the goal that we can win out and win this conference. I'm going to call my shot right now, Matt. Richmond Spiders lose their final game of the season to George Mason. It's going to be senior night. Eagle Bank Arena will be packed. They already beat Dayton this year at home. So I think the Spiders lose that one, which means if VCU wins out and wins at Richmond, uh, they have a chance to win the conference regular season. Right, and I think what's so exciting about this year's A-10 is we have just a slew of teams in the conference that are within Ken Palm's top 115. Last year, I think there was like three. And so the reality is Richmond, you know, they play us. They play Mason. They play an extremely talented St. Joe's team. Loyola has to head to St. Bonaventure. They play, you know, Dayton. They play at a tough Davidson. Same thing, Dayton against Davidson at Loyola. They play us. And then yeah. we've got Richmond, Duquesne, and Dayton. Those are tough games. This is not settled at all. There's easily, you know, tons of easy loss opportunities for everyone in the top four. So it's going to be a real exciting finish. Um, obviously, Dayton, Richmond, and Loyola, they've pretty much secured the top four bids. That's our mission. But, you know, we could luck, in, luck or, I guess, fight our way into a championship before – you know, if we work hard enough. Matt, before I let you go, I, I did want to mention he's the founder of VCU Ram Nation. Follow them today, VCU Ram Nation, or read their work, VCURamNation.com. Uh, I do the Black Gold Fan Podcast, new episodes every week. We talked about realistic expectations for this season. I was trying to tell the guys, look, they're all diehard fans, so you know they had these unreal, unrealistic expectations in my mind for Ryan Odom's first season with the amount of turnover they had. I believe the realistic expectation should be we have to be playing Saturday. 
If we're not playing Saturday, then you can consider it a failure. But to say we need to play on Sunday, I don't think that's realistic expectations. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the thing is, I mean, Ryan Adam had to replace an entire team, basically. And I think what set probably unrealistic expectations was he brought in two guys from a very good Utah State team, and these are two starters, two key players. So Ram fans love that. And then we got into the hype of Joe Bannisil and Roosevelt Wheeler, in particular, who were two top 100 guys who finally are back at VCU where we thought they might end up at some point. We all wish they they were. So I think, you know, we I think everyone bought bought in hard to what he was able to bring in in such a short time, but then everyone kind of forgets, like, you know, these guys just haven't played together at all. And, you know, we're counting on guys like Toby and Furman who did not play at all under Mike Rhodes, and you could argue for a reason. And so I think to finish top four and to get to Saturday would – would be a, I think, a successful season for a first-year coach, but obviously, you know, expectations are different on Broad Street. We're used to winning, um, and we're used to Shaka coming in having great years. Will Wade coming in having great years, um, and you know, I think uh, we've just got high expectations. But to me, I agree with you. If we can get to Saturday, that will be great. That gives me a few nights of partying in Brooklyn. Obviously, we'd love to win a championship though and keep this thing going. Always fun having you on the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks, Adam. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Rams. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck for the return of Burger Night. Back like it never left. Mondays from 3 p.m. to midnight, you can get a cheeseburger for just $2.95 or do what I do, add delicious bacon and beer cheese for $3.95. That's every Monday here at any of the three Capital Ale House locations from 3 p.m. to midnight. So updated odds have come out for the men's college basketball NCAA tournament. March Madness is right around the corner. Everybody wants to wager on the big games. You want to sign up FanDuel promo code AWOD. Right now UConn's in the lead. They're plus 500 to go back to back as the Huskies have been terrific again this season. So UConn number one. Houston and Purdue have the second best odds at plus 750. Tennessee, I told you I love the Volunteers. They're my favorite defensive team that I've seen this season and they've got good shooters on the outside. They're plus 1,300. Auburn and North Carolina plus 1,800. Kansas plus 2,000. Duke's odds are now plus 2,800 and getting worse because they're dealing with an injury to star forward Kyle Filipowski. Kyle Filipowski was on Duke last year, was projected to be a first-round draft pick. Chose to go back to Duke. Now he's projected to be a top-10 draft pick. Well, he got injured in the game against Wake Forest, but the injury happened after the final buzzer. So here's the story from ESPN. Court storming results in Duke's Kyle Filipowski injury. They say as cool as it is to see fans rush the court after a big college basketball win, it's a wonder it's taken until now to see an injury take place. On Saturday, Wake Forest was at home. They were able to pull off an impressive upset win over number 8 Duke, 83-79. to The home crowd was understandably jacked. Unfortunately, in the process of storming the court, one fan collided with Duke star Kyle Filipowski, and he injured his knee. I need everybody to take a listen to the call on ESPN of the final buzzer. 
1.8 to go, Duke down by four. On the inbounds, it's picked, and the party is on in Winston-Salem. Filipowski is being helped off by members of the Duke staff and you saw the immediate bear hug surrounding him as this court storming is in full effect with Filipowski hobbled. Wow! So that was the raw, unedited version of the final call there for Wake Forest uh, winning 83-79. to Here's the problem, alright? And here's where Everybody at, at Wake Forest messed up. And, and I, as soon as I saw this, I knew I had to bring this up on my show. This is a Wake Forest team that should have been given a technical foul because they stormed the court with time left on the clock. Stub, you can see that in the video. There's 1.3 yeah. seconds left when the play begins. They're down by four, so they're throwing it full court to try to you know chuck up a three to maybe extend the game. The ball gets stolen, and as soon as it's stolen, Wake Forest fans and students storm the court. And that's what pissed me off. They ran on the court too damn quick. So the question is, after the Wake Forest incident, should court storming be banned? I say absolutely not, but you should be penalized if you storm the court before the damn game is over. I mean, it just drove me crazy when I was watching that. You have to police it better. Wake Forest should get a severe penalty, a fine, or I'd say even count the game as a loss. Honestly, security needs to be better. Fans can storm the court. Students should be able to storm the court. It's one of the greatest things about college basketball. After the players are safely off the court, and they just rushed it. And here's why. Probably because they haven't been good in 20 years. Last time Wake Forest was relevant, Ryan Odom was in diapers and his dad was the coach. You know, this is a Wake Forest team that hasn't been good since Tim Duncan. And so, in the wake of now the second high-profile fan collision in about a month, people are questioning, should court storming be banned. The first time, Stump, do you remember? It was Iowa star Caitlin Clark. She was knocked down in the end of January after Ohio State upset the Hawkeyes. Right. Yes, I do remember that. So I want people to chime in right now. 833-804-0910. We have to have this conversation. We have to have a discussion about college basketball and the backlash to court storming. My friends all say the same thing here, and that's you can't storm the court unless you defeat a ranked opponent at home, and you're not ranked. You gotta be. It has to be a big enough moment, and, and it has to be a team that you rarely ever beat. All right. Absolutely, why VCU did not storm the court against Dayton. We always beat Dayton. The Spiders did because they never beat Dayton. Kansas State coach Jerome Tang was asked about this, and he said, "Quote: If you want to build a championship culture and expectation, you've got to do the actions before the championship comes." So I told them, speaking of the students at Kansas State, here you get one court storming, but from here here on out, let's expect to win. And I totally agree with him right there. You you can have one court storming, but you can't make it a regular thing. And the security needs to be better. It just needs to be so much better uh, the way they police the fans. I, I I really think that the ACC needs to come out here and award the victory to Duke because number one, we don't know what's going to happen with the injury to Filipowski. Number two. That's a penalty. You can't. That's you cannot run out on the court when there's .4 seconds left on the clock. It can't happen. It actually happened in a VCU game on the road a couple of years ago, and because of it, they were awarded a technical and ended up winning the game. 
Now, many leagues mandate that the schools provide safety plans. An Athletico article mentioned today that certain conferences also enforce disciplinary measures like fines. Um, and it began in the 2023 calendar year. In the SEC, for instance, it is multi-tiered fine system. First-time offense is $100,000, $250,000 for the next, and then $500,000 any time after that. But Stort Corming has been a timeless transition and uh, tradition, and I don't want it to leave just because of some idiots at Wake Forest. Stubb, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I think that the win should go over to the other team, especially when the players themselves had nothing to do with it. But I think a fine or, like, you have to increase your security is absolutely fair. I've never stormed a court before. I, I'm too scared of getting trampled because it is. There's so many people running onto a court at once. It's not safe. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you guys, uh, the one time I've ever stormed the court, uh, I've stormed a football field. I did that in high school when our, our South County team beat uh, Lake Braddock or T.C. Williams or something like that. But in college, my freshman year at the Richmond Coliseum, the Rams won the CAA title over Drexel, I believe, or maybe it was George Mason. And me and all my buddies that were freshmen all stormed the court, and it was just an unbelievable moment that I'll remember forever, and it's why I'm still friends with my friends that stormed the court with me freshman year because we all have that great memory together, and it was so much fun to be on the court. But we did not storm the court until the players were off the court and the buzzer had sound with all zeros. That's what's so frustrating yeah. is that when you watch the video, it's completely unacceptable. It's .7 seconds left when Wake Forest fans were clearly on the floor. There's zero place for that in college sports. And that's why I believe that you can go as far as taking a win away from Wake Forest. And, Stubb, here's what you're saying. You're saying the players didn't lose the game. Well, I'll tell you a story. VCU, their band director, Ryan Capacci, told me that they almost got a technical at the Final Four for complaining to the refs. And I've seen in sports a uh, somebody get a technical. In fact, when we were in Orlando... Uh, one of the coach's sons, I believe it was for Butler, got a technical for screaming at the ref behind the bench, and it was given to his team because they knew he was rooting for the team. So there have been instances in the past where a fan or an assistant coach or somebody not on the court has been penalized, and the team has to take the penalty. I hate right? that. So I don't think it's <laughs> completely out of question. I mean, it makes sense, though, right? If you Let's just say you're at a Hokies game, and you guys are, are, are throwing you know keys onto the field, and you injure somebody on the opposing team. You don't think the team should be penalized for bad students, bad fans? I think they should. you got to be able to police your own. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I, I see what you're saying. And obviously, I, I, I think that those people should be thrown out, something like that, especially if they injure a player, should be fined, maybe right. taken to, to but jail how are you for gonna a second. But how are you going to find out who stormed the court now, right? I mean, you're going to go uh, you know, grab the, the highlight, grab the replay, and zoom in yeah, on people's faces and make sure they're not allowed to go to a game? The floodgates are already open you're right. at this uh, point. I, yeah, I, I just it, it feels bad to take it on the players, but also I, I, I'm with you that I don't see another solution. So I'm yeah. I'm left with with nothing. I I really don't know what the what the fix well, here is. The players, the players, the coaching staff, the fans are all part of the university. And if the university makes a mistake, the university gets punished. UVA coach Tony Bennett was asked about the court stormings over the weekend. He said, "Quote: Either you better have great security and stop them from storming the court until the players are off the court clearly, or I don't know what other leagues are doing. Maybe find them." And that's kind of what I'm saying. You have to have really good security. You're not going to stop them from storming the court 
but you can stop them from going on the court until the players are safely off the court. That's That would be my solution. But yeah. I absolutely think it needs to stay in college sports. It's one of the best things about college sports, especially college basketball. But I, I will always say, though, it is lame if you storm the court and you've already beaten this team in the past. Like, I think Maryland did that this year. They stormed the court over Illinois. And it's like, really? Illinois is going to let you storm the court? Like, it's got to be a really good game for you to have any reason to storm the court. I just got somebody tweeted me. They said, I don't think that any of the fans should be banned. He said, schools should have the right protocol in place to deal with it, though. And if you make contact with any players, coaches, or officials, it results in a forfeit. So one person tweeted me, they they agree, at AWOD Radio or at 910 The Fan, should this result in a forfeit for Wake Forest? You can tweet us at 910 The Fan, at AWOD Radio, or call in 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. Take an extended lunch break here on a Monday. You deserve it as Mondays are the return of Burger Night. Yes, Richmond's favorite night is back here at Capitol Ale House. Mondays from 3 p.m. to close, you can get a cheeseburger for $2.95 or add bacon and beer cheese for just $3.95. I want to get back into this court storming uh, topic one more time here. As, uh, I'm getting a few tweets right now. Uh, of course, our buddy Trevor tweets us here. That he chimes in. He's excited for Nat's spring training. You can always tweet us throughout the show. If it's a good tweet, we'll read it on air at AWOD Radio or at 910thefan. Um, Debo's Backpack tweets us, Filipowski shoved before tripping a student. Hurt himself doing it. No sympathy for John Cryer and those clowns. I will say, of all the college basketball teams to have this happen to, Duke is the funniest because everybody just already hates Duke, right? You had J.J. Redick in the news all of last week for calling out Doc Rivers, and it was like nobody had his back, but more people hated him because a lot of people just hate Duke. They just hate the Blue Devils. They And, and you know, I was reading John Feinstein's book from the 80s. People have hated Duke since the 80s, since it was Jay Billis uh, was playing for them. Before even Christian Leitner got there and they were winning titles, uh, just people thought Duke were just rich, spoiled kids. And because of that, they've been one of the hatest teams in, in college hoops for 30 years. But we want to get back into sport uh, court stormings. Do they belong in college sports? Because they are coming in at waves right now, and it seems like every week now there's an incident. A player gets hurt, or an assistant coach gets a technical, or something. Court stormings have been crazy this season, and it was highlighted by Kyle Filipowski, who will be a top-10 draft pick in the upcoming NFL NBA draft, hurting his knee with conference tournaments right around the corner, and then the NCAA tournament. Will Filipowski even be healthy enough to give it a go? If you want to chime in, it's 833 I'll give my take once again, but I want to take a listen to the raw audio of what took place as Wake Forest defeats Duke 83-79 once again. 1.8 to go, Duke down by four. On the inbounds, it's picked, and the party is on in Winston-Salem. And stuff, you can hear the party. I mean, you, you can hear the party. <laughs> 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 
Filipowski is being helped off by members of the Duke staff. And you saw the immediate bear hug surrounding him as this court storming is in full effect with Filipowski hobbled. Wow. So I will give Duke's coaching staff a lot of credit for noticing Filipowski uh, being hobbled there, kind of surrounding him and protecting him to get off the court. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation. Uh, once again, I believe Wake Forest should have to forfeit the game. The fans clearly stormed the court with .7 seconds left. I get it. They're down by four. Even if you award Duke two points, they don't end up winning the game. Uh, but that doesn't stop me from having to take that. They should be they should be forced to forfeit because the security at home was not good enough. That's a punishment right there. I don't think a fine is good enough. And number two, they stormed the court with .7 seconds left. And they did it recklessly, running into a guy who's seven feet tall. It's easy to avoid a seven-footer, but they ran right over him, injured his leg, kind of spun him to the ground. You know, he might have more bangs and bruises uh, when we find out more information about this, but it's just an unfortunate situation. I don't think you should stop court storming overall, but I do think that it's up to the universities to police it better. And if you know you have a big-time college basketball game like that, like a top-10 team, the Duke Blue Devils come to come into town, I don't care. Hire double security. I don't care if it costs you more money. You're going to make a ton from selling out the damn contest. You have to hire more security. This is all on Wake Forest. I blame the Demon Deacon security staff and, and their basketball operations. They botched this. The fans should be punished. The university should be punished. And unfortunately, Duke should get a win, I think. I'm not the biggest Duke, Duke Blue Devils fan. Don't get me wrong. I grew up a Terrapin uh, because my mom went to Maryland. She's a Terp, so I hate Duke. I'll always hate Duke, uh, but I respect their athletes uh, and, and their coach, John Shire. Now, let's take a listen to Duke coach John Shire, hear what he wants to happen to court storming. I'm more concerned about the, the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted? Should college basketball ban court storming 833-804-0910 833-804-0910 John Shire the head coach of the Duke Blue Devils was very adamant that he wants it to be canceled he doesn't want people to be able to storm the court anymore after his star forward Kyle Filipkowski gets injured Jay Billis former Duke Blue Devil here's him on ESPN this morning chiming in on court storming and but the truth is nothing's going to change now we're going to talk about it and it's going to go away and nothing's going to change and if they wanted to stop it they could stop it tomorrow uh the the, the administrators will tell you that uh security experts tell them that it's not it's not a good idea to try to stop the court storming that that could cause more problems than it would solve but you don't have to stop the court storming one time all you have to do is once they're on the court don't let them off just just say you're all detained and give them all citations or arrest them if you want to. <laughs> and then court stormings will stop the next day. Um, there's no accountability for this. It, uh, it, the fans feel like it's an entitlement and the universities like it. And the truth is we like it. I did not listen to that clip stub before the show. I'm glad I didn't. That's an idiotic take. He wants you to detain all 350 no, students I, I, I don't, that are on the court? I don't think that's what he's saying. I, I think he's saying that that is how it would be done, but he doesn't want that to happen. He just thinks that's the only way to get it to stop, is, is what I think is he's saying here. 
Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I just think the answer is easy. Look, the floodgates are open. You're not going to be able to stop it. It's been around for too long. Some students, like myself, dream about it. Like, I wanted to go to a university that would be good enough at sports that I would be able to storm the court. The answer is, you just have to hire better and more security. And you have to be aware of how much time is left on the clock. We all knew that Duke was going to try to grasp at a three-point shot there with a uh, second and a half left to try to send the game to overtime. And so everybody watching the game knew, yeah, there's a chance that even if this gets stolen, Duke's going to foul with .5 seconds left and the game's going to continue. The refs just got tired of doing their job. And so they should have blown the whistle. That I'm actually, you know, I'm on to I think the refs need to be fined as well because that's a penalty. It's in the rule book. You cannot have six men on the court if there's still time on the clock. And whether it's a student or another player from the from the bench or what, there were a million people on the court with .7 seconds left, Stub. And so I think part of it is not just on security, but on the referees. They should not have left the game ended. Yeah, uh, the game ended. That's a good point. They should have brought everyone back to the court. Yeah, no, I, I right? follow you there. Yeah, I mean, right. The game was still going, and there was a foul. You can't just... Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the game wasn't going to go to the other team, but that that's points. That's game, stats. The game that's, was still on. Yeah. The game was not over and should not have ended. Austin Rivers famously hit a game-winning shot for UNC over Duke. He's now still in the NBA, but doing side work on ESPN as an analyst. Here's Austin Rivers' take on court storming. Yeah, it's never fun, uh, especially when you're, you know, you're on the other side of that. We actually lost the game versus Temple uh, in which they stormed the court. And when that's happening, the first thing you're thinking is, I just want to get out of here before I come face to face with the fan. You got to think, we're talking about young men here. These aren't grown individuals. So, and neither are the kids rushing the floor. When you have that mixing, especially on the other side, you look at, say, a player for Duke. This is a kid who just had a loss. Emotions are high. It's a bad combination of things that could possibly happen. There's no, there's nothing good that can come of it other than a picture that's being taken or, you know, the kids jumping up and down on the court. Somebody, the fact that we haven't had more injuries in the past is actually even more strange. Uh, just considering you have a bunch of fans steamrolling each other, running onto the court while the other players are trying to get off the court. It is scary uh, just because you don't know who you're, you know, you're going to run into. And Yeah, no, that's a good point by Austin Rivers. I, I think the next step in court storming is players, you know, hitting fans or right, throwing a punch or something like that. I, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Filipowski didn't do a better job protecting himself there uh, against the the fans that were storming the court. But I do think that's kind of the, the next worst place this could go is a fan and a, and a student athlete getting in a fight. What's the solution to this? I say better security. If you want to chime in, 833-804-0910. After headlines around the country are talking about court storming possibly getting banned in college hoops in the wake of Wake's court storming debacle in their victory against Duke. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM.